0: not amen and so it's a privilege to be a part of what he is doing and how his kingdom is going forth and the message of righteousness and truth and uh, you know when you come and gather into this place it is a safe place a safe haven you won't hear any curse words here you won't hear any things of anger here because this is God's house amen and for us this morning Thank you, thank you. Good morning. Well, it's always great to be here and to uh, to share the word with you guys. Um, today we're going to talk about the vine from John 15. Uh, we're going to be in this passage for a little bit. I think this is also something really important, kind of goes along with what we were talking about last week, about things that we're supposed to be looking looking forward to, looking into, and uh, progressing through in this year. Uh, it seems like more and more the Lord is really laying on my heart the the aspect of transformation for this year that we're doing a lot a lot of uh, of inward sanctification you know there's there's a lot of a lot of churches around a lot of a lot of different uh, places you can go to and things like that and it's wonderful but um, it doesn't matter what church you go to if you're not being actually transformed right. into into who Christ has called us into amen uh, it if you come here, that's amazing. If you were going to a different church, then that's phenomenal, too. I'm glad that you're going somewhere. But the big thing is that are you close to Jesus? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's what I'm most concerned about. Are you close to Jesus, and are you actually paying attention to what his word says? Uh, because if you're not, then it doesn't matter what church you go to, how successful or unsuccessful it is. Yeah. Uh, you're just doing an act. You're just performing an activity. Yeah. But in reality, are you actually growing close to Jesus? And so John 15 he starts this way He says This is Jesus speaking I am the true vine And my father is the gardener He cuts off every branch in me That bears no fruit While every branch that does bear fruit He prunes So that it will be even more fruitful When we when we look at this passage I think it's been mistranslated many times Or misinterpreted rather by people thinking that if someone leaves then they have been pruned from the flock i think that's inaccurate i think it's wildly inaccurate because he doesn't mention anything about people being pruned away from a specific group of individuals doesn't mention that what's he say here he says He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Just because someone goes to a different location doesn't mean that they have been pruned away from the kingdom. Just because someone's disagreeing with you or maybe your your thought process on how ministry should go, maybe they they don't go along with. Some of, the, uh, some of the same thoughts that you have in your own house. Maybe it could be that you disagree on certain theology. I have lots of different friends who are part of many different denominations that they do not align s- exactly with the same thought process that I have regarding Scripture. But it does not mean that they're not in the kingdom. <coughs> While every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. This entire chapter is about remaining in Christ. Remaining in Christ. And it is not... People who prune other people, it's the gardener that prunes, the gardener. He says that God, his father, that God is the one who prunes us so that as we remain in Christ, then there's going to be some work that happens inside of us. Because as we read scripture, as we start to, as we actually pray, as we remember what God is doing inside of our lives, we'll start to see that there are some things in us that may need to get pruned away. And part of the pruning process is also not just removing dead things. It's actually removing some of what is actually growing, some of the stuff that could look healthy. But the issue is that some of those little bitty sprouts maybe will be taken away from the whole of the plant. And so sometimes you have to remove little things that may seem like it's good, but in reality it's not fruitful for the overall goal of what God is wanting to do inside of your heart. I think it's uh, Miles Monroe, I think it says, a good thing's not always a right thing, but a right thing's always a good thing. So in the pruning process, sometimes the Lord will ask you to remove certain things in your life so that you can get a greater image of who God is and what he's wanting to do in you. A good thing's not always the right thing, but the right thing is always a good thing. We do not prune other people, but God is the one who prunes us. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is interesting, too, because if you look at some trees, um, if there's a dead branch, you don't always have to pull it down in order for that dead branch to end up on the ground. Right. How many guys have ever seen a dead branch just fall? Some of you guys maybe uh, branches falling on your house or a car, <laughs> you have to call insurance. But um, but you will see that there are sometimes that dead branches will just fall and end up on the ground. So sometimes it's not even the fact that somebody um, somebody had to confront somebody else whose fruit's not viable or who's who's not living a life that really reflects who Jesus is. And sometimes it it's n- it may not even have to be like the hand of God moving on their life in order to show them what's actually happening. What actually happens is that their own decisions and behaviors and the process that they live by, it actually causes them to live in a place that that emanates death as far as the difference between life in Christ and death in the world. And so the consequences of sin, remember sin is missing the mark. So when we miss the mark and we don't follow after what Christ has said, then a lot of times we can actually end up in, in circumstances where the consequence of my action is the punishment. It's not that God is making bad things happen. It's that I made a dumb decision, and because I made a dumb decision, I'm now suffering the consequences of that dumb decision. It doesn't have to be God is against me. No, I just, I was an idiot. <laughs> I did something dumb. <laughs> and that's the process. And whenever you see a dead branch on the ground, you don't just leave it there in your yard. You pick it up, right? You discard of it. At my brother-in-law's house, when we go over and hang out, he he does a lot of yard. They have a, a nice little plot of land and and when he goes to clean off a lot of the stuff, he takes all the dead branches and he puts it in a real big pile. We call that pile the burn pile. Put that in there and then guess what we do? We get to go over there and when it gets really cool, we go and we light that sucker up. And it's really fun. It gets real hot and then it's done. Yep. Then you know what happens the next year? You gather some more of those dead sticks and those things that have fallen. You put it in a burn pile. Yep. The consequence of the stick on the ground is that it provides heat now for us to be able to go out and have some fun, maybe cook some s'mores or something like that. So, sometimes when we end up in the consequence of our own actions, those dead things in our lives start to become more and, more and more evident, and it will collect. And then we have to do something with it. And a lot of times, it's to clean up all the things in our life, put them in a pile, and then there's a refining process. A lot of times, this refining process is not enjoyable, but it's extremely beneficial. Extremely beneficial. I'm not even talking about the the uh, the eterni- I'm not even talking about eternity as far as the fact of us after we pass away and going into that whole imagery. What I'm talking about is the life that we get are living right now. And when you pass through fire, when you go through a refinement process, when you're actually going through processes of having to to die to yourself. We talked about that a lot last week, right? You need to die to yourself, die to your flesh, die to those things and pick up your cross. says if you remain in me and I in you then you will bear much fruit but apart from me you can do nothing 11 verse 8 he says to this this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples you see the end goal because there's many people who don't know Christ that they're living a life, and they could show love to people. They can seemingly have some joy in their life. They may be pretty patient. They could be kind. If you recognize any of these words, it's a part of what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. This process is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All these things should actually be a part of our lives as we are living in Christ. They should actually show. And there'll be times where when you're not quite living in a way to where you're showing those fruit it'll be evident and you'll find the frustration in the midst of each of those things but as you live in christ you should start to mature in these areas to where you're showing this more and more this is a part of the pruning process but there are some people who who do not follow christ that show some of these things because you could be raised well enough to know that i need to show people love and that's that's great that's awesome But the difference between that and what John is talking about here from the gospel of John and Jesus's words is is that this this process of remaining in Christ is actually for my father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be disciples of Jesus. The difference between someone who doesn't follow Christ and someone who follows Christ is the glory goes to God when you follow Christ. You're leading them to something greater than yourself. Anybody who does a good deed, who just is is not following Christ, they get the glory for that. They get the credit, and that's it. That's where it stops. That's where it ends. There's nothing greater that they actually call call you to, but whenever you follow after Christ, you're, you're actually displaying what it could be like to follow after someone and to give your life to someone who is much greater and who can handle all of the stress, all of the the. Let down all of the past hurt. You could bear much fruit, just like when when we read out of uh, out of Paul's letter to the Galatians when he said that people who heard about his testimony they had, they hadn't even seen him. They heard about the good deeds that Paul had done from his past life. They they knew his testimony of. Of him persecuting Christians and throwing different people in jail and and just being a, a tyrant and then hearing that he came to know Jesus and that the things that he's doing now is equipping and building people up for the kingdom of God. They heard they just heard the testimony they read about that. They didn't even have to ha- see Paul. And they gave glory because of the testimony of Paul. They gave glory to God because of his testimony. When you are able to live a life that that shows forth fruit of the spirit fruit that you're actually spending time with jesus then you will find that that you are showing yourselves to be disciples of christ and leading people into following after someone who's greater than just yourself yeah. I, I have a, i have a staff at the college i work at the college as a director of a program and and i'm not a perfect director i'm not the perfect boss there are times i make mistakes and and having to navigate around different Work relationships and see how some people act and react to certain things, and, and I don't always make the right decisions, so I'm not the perfect leader to have to follow after. But I can point you to the one that I'm following and trying to be more like, and that's a great one to follow after. There's only so far we can go with with our own limitations as well. I, you can look in the corporate world, and you can see people who have been, been leading things for, for, uh, for many, many years that are, are entering... Uh, closer into the retirement years and you ask them to do something that is extremely technological that they have not been used to and it's very difficult. Their capacity is limited in that stance because they don't quite know how to navigate around some of those things. Some of them are very great and that's what their hand has been in for a long time and they've moved with the midst of that but there's some people that they, they cannot operate in that capacity and so their leadership in that way and knowing how to structure certain things is very limited. Because they don't know the capabilities, they don't know the direction it can go in, they don't know certain things about that, and so it makes it a lot more difficult to lead people in that sense who are over that stuff. Does that make sense? So their capacity is limited, and so this happens all throughout history. You see, this is also another process of why people enter into retirement at times, is because they kind of, um, the, the technology or the process by which the company starts to move in is a much faster pace than what they've been used to, and they don't feel like they can adequately serve in that position anymore. But the good thing about the the God that we serve is that he has not been phased out, nor will he be phased out. As times progress, as people start to redefine certain things and try to um, restructure the way that life is, the way that culture should be, the way that that we should uh, uh, deal in education, the way that you should think about gender, the way that you should think about marriage, the way that you should think about a household, the way that you should think about every single thing that we're seeing in today's society. God has not been phased out or is too ancient to know what to do in the midst of all these things. So it's to God be the glory that we're able to follow after him. And it's not just a person that we have to follow. I don't have to rely, and this goes back into to the political statement I made last week to where it's, you don't have to rely on a president. You don't have to rely on a political figure to make the way for you for what has to happen because God can make a way where there seems to be no way. This is why I got very frustrated at at, at the election era because there were so many people that put all their eggs in the basket to where all they wanted to talk about was Trump and they didn't talk about the things that were actually happening in their own hometown. They weren't dealing with anything that was actually happening around there uh, or, or ministering out or, or, or taking care of people's needs who are right there. They're just very hell-bent on telling people about what Trump was going to do for everybody and why the, the election was, was rigged and stolen. We can be very opinionated about certain things. I can feel the tension in the room. <laughs> Breathe. You're okay. There, there are things that we concern ourselves with a lot because we have access to to TV, we have access to the internet, we have access to a lot of things, but we don't do anything about what's actually happening here. We have kids who are in horrible positions in their life right now because they're in households that do not care for them whatsoever. We have people who are addicted to everything in the kitchen sink because they feel like there's no hope, or there's no, no, uh, uh, yeah, there, there's no, no satisfaction in life that they can't be satisfied by anything. So they seek and seek and seek after something that could give them temporary satisfaction. What are we doing about this? We have people we pass by in Walmart day after day. When you go there, you go to a grocery store and you pass by these people. You see that someone's. Someone's struggling you can see you can feel if you're if you're worshiping jesus and you're really following after him Then you actually will find that you'll have compassion for people that you may not have ever had compassion for And that will prick your heart and it will cause you to have to like Almost seek them out because you see that they're dealing with something and it's not that you have to give them all the money That you have but you have something just like what what uh, what peter told told the man who is at the uh, at the gates who was asking for alms he was asking for money he was a beggar and they said hey silver and gold i don't have but what i do have i will give you Amen. prayed for the man he got up and walked that's crazy <laughs> that's wild and i'm not saying every time you go to pray for someone who's crippled they're going to get up and walk but i'm saying can you just pray for him <laughs> Just because you're not certain if they're going to get up and, and go and do anything or, or that every single person that you're going to pray for who's hurt is going to get healed doesn't mean you don't pray at all. Where's your faith? Okay, I'm going to scoot back over here and start reading some more. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. This is important because people want to define what love really looks like. And they, they want to act like love doesn't require something from you. Now, his love is given freely to all people. But to remain in his love and to remain in that and to and to reap the benefits of his love, you also have to contribute To that relationship. Amen? There has to be a process of you actually giving of yourself to also experience and encounter the fullness of His love in a way that's actually gonna be transformative in your life and it's gonna be evident in your life too. John 3 16 said, God so loved the world that He gave His Son, that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. And that's amazing. That's wonderful. So I believe that God's love is for everyone and that everybody has an opportunity. But in order to really and truly live a life that is following after Christ, you have to submit yourself and remain in Christ. So we talked about last week, you have to you have to get over those those feelings and, and pick up your cross and follow after Christ. And so he says, as a father has loved me, so I've loved you now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And my command is this I love that. He tells you, follow commands. Now, here's the commands. It's great. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. He didn't say just ask whatever you want to and that's great and i'm just going to give it to you Because whatever it is that you want is is going to be what it is that you have I love that. He set that that phrase that sentence up that gets taken out of context a lot of times when people just want something Is that he talks about the command of loving god loving people through the midst of that Giving of yourself that when you give of yourself to jesus Then his desires will be your desires and then those will be the things that you will pray God's desires will be the things that boil up inside of your heart and you will start to ask for those things. And those will be the things that God grants. He will provide for you and he'll do the things and he'll even bless you in ways that you um, couldn't even think of or imagine. But at the same time, there have been many people who have gone through horrible, horrible things that they're still in line with what God is calling them into. It's not that God is punishing them. So that's the beef I have with prosperity gospel is that prosperity gospel says that everybody should be rich. That's false. (laughs) Paul says, I know what it's like to be with nothing and know what it's like to be with everything. He knew what it's like to follow after Christ and not have anything, be beaten, be thrown in jail, be thrown in prison. He was still following after Jesus. That doesn't sound like prosperity. (laughs) Living in jail, being caught up, having to deal with these things, whipped. That's not prosperity, but it is. When prosperity is only financial, then you will be very, very short-sighted, and you will miss the mark on much of what God is actually wanting to do in you, through you, and around you. When your idea of prosperity is only financial, then you will worship at the feet of the dollar bill. But when you realize that prosperity comes from a full-life in full relationship with Jesus Christ, you'll find that you are much richer than the most wealthy businessman or woman that there could ever be. I want to turn to one more, one more passage. And then I want to move into uh, partaking of communion this morning. <clears throat> Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. I believe it's the New King James that says faith is is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. For us to truly say that we have faith, there needs to be evidence in our life that we have this faith. You cannot say that I have faith and then your activity of your life does not follow and line up with what Jesus has taught us to. You actually don't have faith. You have words, but you don't have faith. You have religion, but you don't have faith. You have tradition, but you don't have faith. Faith is is the substance. It is the confidence. It is the activity that we have knowing that I have faith that God will do something or has done something. And so I'm going to continue to act on this because of his faithfulness in my life. I will show to be faithful to him. So faith should be evident in what we do. Faith is confidence in what we hope for, and the assurance about what we do not see. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. People can't see God specifically. Jesus even says, blessed are those who who don't see, they believe and don't see, right? There's there's many, many people, there's many more people today that have not seen physically the God of the universe, but... They know that he's present. So faith is our activity and the knowledge of the unseen realm of who God is, knowing that he will still move on behalf of us, knowing that he has acted in grace and mercy by giving of his life for us. We also look at this this passage and we see this is in in chapter 11. (coughs) Excuse me. there, There are 10 other chapters that come before this passage. It's really important as you read through the Bible. This is a really, really, really valuable note as you read through scripture to know that there are books in a big in this one book. So there are many books in this one book. Right. And, and in the New Testament, many of this is is letters. These are letters written to specific churches and to people. And so to just go to one specific chapter and grab one little verse and be like, cool, this is my verse. And this is going to be great. Um, A lot of times we end up doing what in in academia we call it eisegesis. Exegesis is when you go through passages and you break down scripture in its complete context. You go through the historical background. You go through the contextual background. You know what's going on in the midst of it, who he's writing to. You know all the things around it to further uh, uh, understand what the passage is saying. Eisegesis is when you take your context and your background and your history and you read it into the passage. To where it means whatever the heck you want it to mean. That's eisegesis. You read yourself, your eye, into that. And I become Jesus. <laughs> it's not how you spell it, but it was a good alliteration there. So, um, so you become, you become someone who, who starts to practice eisegesis, And that's not what we want to do here. So we end up a lot of times when people quote this passage, they do a lot of eisegesis. We need to realize that there are 10 other chapters that actually go through and and Deliver a wonderful depiction of an encounter with Jesus as worshippers of Christ, that it is the blood of Christ that has cleansed us. It is the sacrifice of Jesus that Jesus is the High Priest and king that now, in light of, of of the the rhythms that they would have in Judaism as they would go to the temples, that Jesus now serves as the High Priest as the one who actually offers a sacrifice, and Jesus, as a sacrifice now is the one who who is the one who took the place of our sins, and he was the one that actually delivered us and to be able to have complete freedom and complete um, joy in everything that has been set before us, that we're able to actually walk in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And then we get to faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. Now I can see that this is what was actually delivering me into this place. It's not just that, well, I kind of have a general idea of what faith is. No, 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 no faith is described by the first 10 chapters and delivering to you what it actually means to follow after Jesus. That's proper reading of Scripture. Yeah. That's why a Bible reading plan is really helpful to be able to go through and know what what Scripture's saying. To know actually how things happened and you actually find that there are certain things that you didn't know happened before, certain of your favorite verses and it completely changes your outlook of that verse because you've only just picked that verse like, a, like putting a bunch of verses in a little fishbowl and then Circling around and picking one and be like, cool, that's my verse. I know like the the version Bible has verses of the day, and that's awesome. It's wonderful. But if you only read a verse of the day, you're only going to get that little portion of what that scripture is saying. This is how you discern truth from from lies a lot of times. Because the enemy knows the word. He knows scripture. You look at at the devil's encounter with Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. He quoted scripture at Jesus. He twisted it but he quoted it. And Jesus corrected him because he knew the context that that scripture was actually saying. If you know the context, you will not be deceived. But if you don't know context, a lot of times it's very easy to be deceived because you're just going off of whatever you just feel or whatever somebody else is trying to to display to you. Very important. Very important. And so faith, (coughs) faith in Jesus needs to lead as in the place of remembrance consistently. When you truly have faith in Christ, that means that you are are looking at ways that that his word can transform you. You're looking at ways that his word can, can peer into the lies that you've been delivered. Remove them from your life and show you what truth really is. Faith should not be oppressive. It should be restorative. Faith is not condemning, it's convicting. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. There should not be condemnation in the way that you ac- approach this. But you'll be uncomfortable because conviction is not comfortable. So, if we're truly living in Christ, if we're grafted into the vine. And that example in John 15 where Jesus says that he is the vine and God is the vine dresser, he is the gardener. Then, as you go through the pruning process, that's uncomfortable because sometimes it feels like something that you thought was really good is being shaved off a little bit. But that's to give life to other areas so that you can truly shine in the way that you need to. You can grow, you can stretch, you can produce the fruit that you need the branch that you have can actually bear the weight of the fruit that god is going to provide in your life today marks the the last day the 21st day of our 21 days of communion those of you guys who have been participating in that i pray that's been a a a very enjoyable time with you and your family i encourage you to continue to do to do that with your family throughout the year i'm not going to give a specific challenge that we have to do it another 21 days but i I want to challenge you to do that more consistently with your family. There's never anything bad with remembering what Christ did by breaking his body and and spilling his blood for us. It's important and valuable for us to be able to gather together and to remember this. This is actually what the first century church was doing. (coughs) Every time they gathered, they would gather around what you call the Eucharist. They would gather around this process of breaking bread with one another. Partaking in communion and remembering what Christ did. And that was the forefront. That was the center of what they would do. And they would have other opportunities where they would go through and teach. But they would constantly, every week, they would gather together and they would break bread. And don't feel like you have to have anything specifically. uh, The word for bread in the New Testament, and especially when you look through, um, through early church literature... It doesn't mean unleavened or leavened bread. um, That was only used in the Passover meal in the way that they would partake in Passover. It was just bread. The Greek word is bread. There's there's another word that's in the Greek that's unleavened bread, and that's very specific. (coughs) But this word is not leavened or unleavened. It's just bread. Also, when, when talking about the cup, there's some people that get really twisted up thinking it has to be wine or it has to be grape juice. It just says the cup or the fruit of the vine. It doesn't say one or the other. Doesn't say one thing or another. Whatever it is that the conviction is in your heart about partaking in in the cup, it's the it's the act in the process of remembering. We're not pouring massive cups, or we're not pouring a fifth of something <laughs> to partake in. This is a, this is a remembrance, and we're to we're to partake in this in a holy manner. So when you eat the bread, when you drink the cup, it could be grape juice, it could be Kool Aid. <laughs> Pastor Kim was telling me earlier today that they didn't have any juice one time when he was pastoring, and so he went next door and grabbed some Kool-Aid. And there we go. They had communion. <laughs> Praise God. They walked through the process of remembering what Jesus did on the cross. If we get twisted up with the little things here and there, then we're going to miss the mark on what we were actually doing in the midst of this gathering. We're here to remember what Jesus did. And if you take this with, with the seriousness that we're called to, then you will start to find out there will be transformation that will happen in you as you remember the gravity of the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. And if we partake in the things that we do with one another in our gathering places where we're not nitpicking little things here and there about people's lives and that we're not doing these things, it's gonna be a lot easier for us to be able to live with one another and to operate in the way that God has called us to. Sometimes we... We, we desire control over certain things, and that's not the way that we need to be operating in. We need to be led by the Holy Spirit. And to know what the Holy Spirit is saying, we have to know what the Bible says. Because that's where truth is found. So we're going um, uh, to have communion right now. And uh, we also have, for those of you guys who are, um, like, gluten intolerant, we have some bread for you, too. So there we go. That's going to be a good time. So, Pastor Ken, if you wanna, if you wanna come over. We, can, I'll grab this table for you while you grab those elements there. And what we're gonna do? Um, I really love the uh, the activity. I, I, I did this. I told some of you guys earlier. Um, whenever I was, Sean, you can go ahead and go up there. That'd be good too. Get some some nice background tunes there. Um, whenever I was in Pennsylvania. Uh, Earlier this year, I was, I was there with one of my buddies. He has a church um, out in Pennsylvania, and, and they had a, a night of communion. And what they did was they actually broke bread instead of just having little crackers, little wafers. I love that process as you look and you see the bread that's pulled and that's ripped away from, from the actual piece. And so um, we're going to do some of that this morning. We're going to have, have some of these guys. are going to have the process of being able to break the bread. As you go up to the thing, you can break a little piece. You don't have to break a huge piece. We're not over here eating a meal. Just breaking a little piece. So as you guys come up, you'll break a little piece. And then you'll be able to take that. So the ones who can't have gluten, we have some nice stuff over here for you. You guys move this way. We're going to come through the middle aisle. And then you grab your stuff and you go to your seats on the outer aisle. So you guys can stand up if you would. And then come to the front. You grab a, there's a little cup. And then there's a, a piece of the bread that you can grab. So just grab a little piece you can make your way forward you guys can start start coming forward come through the middle aisle and then exit outside there's also one right here too if you guys want to use some of that there you go <laughs> this is the gluten one though yeah Yeah, this, this right here is the, if you don't have a gluten intolerance, you can be in either line. That's totally fine. elements together so don't don't eat or drink it yet we're gonna do that all together You guys are in the back. You guys can come and grab grab your stuff as well. To practice this the reason why they would pull this apart is so that you can look at the process of that bread being separated being broken you can see the pieces that once fit super well together are now disheveled but it's also disseminated throughout the group knowing that Jesus' body was broken but it wasn't just broken for the sake of display was broken for each and every one of us to encounter life in a way that we would not have been able to encounter without knowing him Paul tells us that there's a a process that we go through as well that some people are sick in their bodies and they're, they're encountering things because they have not partaken of communion in a way that is honorable or holy So before going through this process of, of partaking of the bread and the cup, what I would like to do is I would like to challenge you to reflect just for a few moments. Well, Sean is playing some pretty music, so you can not just sit in complete silence, but but I would like for you to reflect a little bit on, on things that could be dealing in your heart, that the Lord could be bringing up in your heart, and I want you to speak with him. And if there's anything you need to confess, do that right now. Confess those things to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want to actually give you these things. There's, there's one thing knowing that Jesus knows all things, that God knows all things, he sees all things, he's not unknowing, he is all knowing. But there's a difference in him knowing what you're doing and you actually letting him know that you don't want to do those things anymore and that you're giving those activities and those actions and those desires of your heart over to him. That's what true repentance actually leads to. It doesn't lead to just saying what you did because guess what? He knows what you already did but it's the process of actually giving of those things to Jesus we need to walk into. So, So take just a few moments and reflect on those things that maybe you need to give over to Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your body that was broken for us. Lord, taking the punishment that we so deserve by missing the mark on holiness and righteousness, living a life that is supposed to be reflective of of your glory. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, for your grace and mercy in the midst of those things. As so we partake of your body with reverence and knowing that your pri- the price that you paid was horrendous and terrible, but yet full of love and compassion, let us glean and, and learn from your sacrifice so that we too would give of ourselves to you. God for the cup for your blood that was spilled for our sins and that Lord that doesn't just mean that it's just our sins that are forgiven but that we are transformed body, soul, and spirit that Lord you you gave us salvation and that we can walk through a process of sanctification with our mind, our will, and our emotions Lord move on our hearts so we can be convicted of the things that that displease you in our lives, the way that we think, ways that we respond, ways that we act, Lord, that those things could also be transformed, not just a sinner's prayer, but Lord, a total transformation of true, true discipleship. Thank you that our minds could be healed of trauma, Lord, that you could provide healing for us from past mistakes. Lord, you can heal us in ailments in our bodies. So I thank you for total and complete healing, spirit, soul, and body. Thank you for your sacrifice. In Jesus' name, let's take it again. A wonderful privilege to gather together and to partake of the cup and the bread. The difference between Christianity and other religions is that we serve a God who's still alive. Our Savior is not one who just was a martyr, but he actually lived a life. He died and then he rose from the grave. Showing us a beautiful representation of what it's like to live as a human in full submission to God while he was fully God, able to take the penalty and the price of our sins so that we can have salvation. I pray that you guys do this more. I pray that you you have a a high reverence for partaking of the bread and the cup. Each night, Danielle and I ended communion by saying the Lord's Prayer, and I'd, I'd like to do that with you guys this morning as well. Father, who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I think that's a wonderful way to pray the same way that Jesus taught us how to pray. Amen. A lot of good stuff in there. A lot of good stuff in that prayer to think about. Well, you guys have a wonderful and marvelous Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon. Go eat with somebody, go hang out, introduce yourself to somebody if you haven't uh, seen somebody yet. We'll see you guys Wednesday as long as weather is permitting. If not, then I'll also kind of be happy because I'll be off work, but sad I won't see you. Um, you have a great rest of your week though, and we'll see you guys on Sunday.